Pastor. Thanks for spending time with Jimbo and I this morning. I'm glad to be here. Where uh, Where are you now? Are you in Madison Heights or Lynchburg or? Uh, currently in Christiansburg. Okay. What's uh, What's going on in Christiansburg? That's where I live. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So yep. we're we're twenty seconds in and and already uncovered new uh, new territory. New territory. So, yeah. are you from Christiansburg originally? Um, more or less. I, I grew up in uh, Shawsville, small little town outside of Christiansburg that most people aren't aware of, um, unless you're from this area. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've lived here pretty much my whole life. So I thought you said Charlottesville, and then you said a small little town nobody's heard of, and I thought, well, that that is just categorically false. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, that happens quite a bit. Uh, Charlottesville, Shawsville, you know, sometimes I have to say it slow. <laughs> Shawsville. So, um, okay. Christiansburg, I remember growing up, always had a really good wrestling. You know, that, that whole area had a really good wrestling um, culture. And they still do. They still yeah. do. Yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think that, what, what are some of the reasons for that? Um, they do a really good job promoting um, the high school wrestling team, you know, they they visit the elementary schools and stuff to promote and encourage kids to get into wrestling um, and keep the program strong. Is that did you get involved in in uh, in sports while you were coming up much? I did, but I, I didn't wrestle. Okay, what were uh, what were some of your what were what were your pursuits? Um, I played some baseball, uh, but primarily football and basketball. Okay, what and uh, and. And on the football front, what positions were you playing? And um, I, I kind of did several different things. Uh, most of the time, I was uh, defensive end or a tight end, just depending on you know small school. You play offense, defense, special teams. You know, you do it all. Huh. So, well, that's uh, I guess we'll get into your story, but that that probably set a little bit of the groundwork for how you developed just as a as a professional as well. You you've worn a lot of hats over the years. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, uh, tell me how it was growing up in Shawsville. Um, like I said, it was a small town. Um, we had uh, forty-two uh, kids in my senior class that graduated with me. Um, you know, in comparison to a lot of other schools around here, we, we have several hundred. Um, it, it was definitely small, um, small community, a lot of dirt roads. Um, <laughs> Spent a lot of time outside, hunting, fishing, you know, whatever, uh, hanging out with people on the weekends, just uh, as much time as we could outdoors. And what's, um, what, what was your first job? Paid or unpaid? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like most uh, teenage boys, you end up mowing a few yards or, or whatever. Uh, I helped some people over summer uh, building uh, apartments complexes and that kind of got me into the construction industry um but first official job um actually worked at walmart well so that's i feel like that's a uh, a job that you know you hear people say a lot you know everybody should be a server in a restaurant because yeah. you have to deal with all different types of people and you learn how to manage personalities and and Maybe another thing that should be added to that is everybody should do a stint at Walmart. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I started there and 
At 19, they put me in as a manager. And I look back now and in no way should a 19-year-old be a manager. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you definitely learn uh, personalities and different scenarios. and uh, It's definitely an adventure that I'm glad to be past. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh... – what are the some of so you said uh, nobody at nineteen should be a manager? What 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 are your some some of your thoughts behind that? I mean, I could I could make some assumptions, but I'm interested. You you lived it, so what were some of the mistakes and things you learned that you thought, man, I I just wasn't quite ready for for that? Well, I think specifically for myself, um, you know, nineteen years old, you're bullheaded. You think you know everything. Um, so when you have upper management with 20 some years experience telling you how to be a better manager or handle customers you might not always listen um and at that age you know the the customers they see you young and try to take advantage or whatever so it, you learn quick uh, but you know 19 I, I don't think i was prepared to be a manager um you know, had I been better developed and better trained, maybe it would have worked out better, but um, it was definitely uh, an adventure. Yeah, how much of that? I, I think there's a balance to, to developing people. I mean, I, for me, I'm pretty bullheaded too, and I, and, and I prefer to forge my own path, even if it, even if it takes twice as long and is, and is 10 times as difficult. And I, but I think there's potentially, uh, potentially, maybe I'm wrong, but a little bit of wisdom in that, in that the lessons you learn and the hardships you endure stick with you a lot more than if you learned it by the book and were coached the whole way and, and never saw the consequence of managing folks a, a certain way. It's one of those deals where you wouldn't ever do it. You wouldn't want to go back and do it again, but you're glad you did it. Kind of. Right. Is, there any, is there any part of you that, feels that way or is that do you think that it, it, you'd have been far better off if you just listened the first go around it um no honestly I think the majority of my career you know I, I learned a lot of my own um just paying attention to uh what other people did wrong and what they did right uh so I think sometimes just being thrown to the wolves so to speak that you got to figure it out um I, you know, you do see some people that go through years of education, uh, whether that be college or formal training through work, and um, it's all textbook. No, no true life experience, you know, to support the way they are. Um, and they still end up having to learn by experience. Yeah, that, so um, I, there was a bumper sticker, I think, from years ago, and it said, um, it said, it's best to be you because everybody else is taken. Right. <laughs> so, along those lines. And, and so, uh, you know, when, as you're learning from others and mentors and folks along the way, my, my sense is it's you want to gravitate towards and, and try to learn little elements that you think would be a good blend with your strengths and characteristics that you're naturally inclined towards or maybe not, and then leave some of the other parts away um, and I guess a big part of the challenge for many folks is ego because the unwillingness to learn from others and be bullheaded and go, I've got the answer all the way. I think that's maybe where 
things get a little difficult. I, I tend to believe we all, you know, you see a path through the woods and there's a reason there's a trail, right? Cre we're, we're animals, people are creatures of habit, just like deer. And so we like black and white, but the reality of leadership is it operates far more in the gray. And, and to your point, academics just doesn't really hit the nail on the head when it comes to how leadership manifests on a job site. I mean, <laughs> probably some of the things you've got to engage with and the conversations and personalities would, 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 uh, would make a lot of folks cringe or gasp or struggle to understand. This is unacceptable, but it's just the nature of how work, work is, is, is executed on a job site with different subs and different contractors and people, personalities, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a second ago, you used the big word ego. Um, that kind of goes back to that 19 year old, you know, the, the ego gets in the way, um, you know, and as you kind of grow up, mature a little bit and learn to put your ego in check and then you can develop and learn more from, you know, true life experiences or other people. Yeah, there's that, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw out a few sayings, I guess, today for whatever reason, but there's a saying that uh, when you're a kid, you want to latch onto your parents. When you're a teenager, you want to run away from them. And when you're an adult, you want to get them back again. Or so, There's something much more eloquent than, than what I just said, but yeah. that's the, maybe that's the kind of, you know, as you're young in your managerial positions or work, you, you really kind of want somebody to give you a sense about what are the, what are the non-negotiables? What are some of the black and whites? But then let me figure it out on my own. And you kind of drift out to sea and you forge your own path. And then at some point, forging your own path, you go long enough in the woods, you either find yourself or you get lost. Right. Because a lot of people get lost and then they go, okay, let's retrace the steps back to that manager who really kind of showed me um, a lot of the way. So, without getting too far ahead, I, w I do want to talk a little bit about folks you've interacted with who really coached you well and taught you well and or family members or friends. But before we get there, so after you're 19, you're, you're manager at Walmart, tell me, tell me what happened after that and what your next pivot was. So uh, I had a short period of time where I was uh, just trying to find another job, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I, I started to go to college and determined that I could make more money going into construction or something else. Um, so I've kind of uh, finished up the semester of college I was in and then I decided to pursue other opportunities for a little while. Um, eventually found my way back into construction, more residential construction, and then had an opportunity uh, come up at CSE to uh, come on uh, more or less inexperienced green employee as an iron worker in our steel division. Um, you know, and that, that was uh, one of those experiences. That, again, I think like a lot of people, I'm going to do this for a little while until I find something better. And 17 years later, I, I believe I found the better already. So. Yeah, Jimbo, who was it we spoke with a few years ago? Was it Rick Jones from MSC? Someone had said, you know, I, 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 I landed here, um, you know, for a summer job 
No, it was Mike Reese from SL Williamson. He said, yeah, I landed here for a summer gig and 35 years later, here yeah. I am. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. I mean, I, look, I, I landed at Scott. I've been here 30 years, so. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've always been looking for something better, but um, I guess <laughs> I haven't found it. So I, I, I know the feeling. How, how, did, how did iron working feel compared to, you know, apartment building construction? Yeah, well, it was uh, definitely a new experience. Um, going from working with wood to iron is a lot different. Uh, when I, you're doing residential building, you know, at no point really are you far from holding on to some structure, even on the roof, you, you've got something. And my first week on the iron, you know, they put me up on the steel and I, I was fine on the first level, you know, 15 feet off the ground or so. And then as I got higher and higher, it, it takes a little time to build up your nerves and uh, not just the fear of heights or whatever, but when, when you get out on a beam and you're 15, 20 feet from anything around you, uh, nothing to hold on to but the beam that you're standing on. Uh, it takes some time, uh, but it, it was definitely a, a new experience. And the foreman that I started with at that time, it was like in my first week, you know, he kind of made a comment to me that if I wanted to do something else with my life, my career, to get out now before iron work got in my blood. And it didn't take long. It, you know, it gets in your blood and um, this type of work, you know, you fall in love with. So he tried to run you off? Uh, in some degree, yeah. Um, I was young, you know, at the time I was, probably the lowest paid employee, you know, anybody green came in at a certain dollar and um, he just felt like um, maybe there was other opportunities. I say that, but he was also a 20, 30 year veteran that was grouchy and probably wished he'd gotten out of it 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> so, so, so did, did you, did you eat your lunch out there on the steel, like the pics, you know, the famous picture? <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. Um, we took lunch breaks and came down most of the time. Yeah, what was it like? Uh, so risk is a funny thing in our world to think about because it accommodates, you acclimate, you know, and so comfort with risk, comfort with risk changes your perception of the degree of risk you're taking. You know, the absence of a consequence you start to go, oh, this isn't as risky. The risk never actually changes. So right. what was it just getting out there and realizing that, oh, I didn't fall the first time and the second time, I didn't slip. Is that kind of what allowed you to get more comfortable with the heights and the... Yeah, and uh, confidence. You know, the more you do anything, the better you get at it, the more confidence you get at it. And, you know, each time I got up there, I got more and more uh, self-confident that I, I was in control. I was balanced, you know, if I felt like I was going to fall, like I knew how to protect myself. Um, and also you can get a little comfort knowing that if you're tied off that if you do fall, hopefully what you're wearing is going to stop you. Mm. Um, so yeah, you definitely grow a uh, high level of confidence and, but there is a line, you know, you get to a point where you respect heights or whatever and you, or anything, any risk, you get to a point where 
it's a fine line and then you can go past that point where it's kind of reckless. Um, well, I've done this a hundred times. I, I'm going to use still erection as an example that, you know, you're always tied off. Well, one time you get away with taking a couple steps before tying off or unhooking and stepping over to another beam and tying back in you know, again, that one second gap, you know, gets easier to tolerate. And uh, that's where you open yourself up for more risk. So once you cross that line and get to a point, and it's one of those, you look back in the old pictures, they're up there sitting, eating lunch. I mean, they're, some of them aren't even wearing a shirt, much less a harness or anything like that. And it's, uh, you know, they got to build up to that level of confidence that it, they're going to be okay. Um as time has come along, you know, everybody is a hundred percent off, especially with our company. And, but it's easy to find those opportunities to kind of take a higher risk than you should. Is that the, is, is fall, is the fall risk in your world, the biggest risk you guys face? And if not, what would, what would the other be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Fall hazard, I mean, it's still in OSHA's top four. Um, majority of injuries and deaths, you know, occur from falls a lot. They're still, it's still up there at the top. Um, and it's not, you know, anybody can fall at any point. I mean, you can fall just walking across your floor, but once you get it at any elevation, I mean, even 15 feet, it can be life-changing. Yeah. Well, that's so. That's something that's kind of interesting to note. I, I follow. There's a guy, Alex Honnold, who uh, free soloed. I think it was El Cap um, out west, and people. And he's insane. Uh, I mean, he going thousands of feet up in the air with no rope and no anchors, nothing, just himself and some chalk, uh, and and some shoes. Um, you know, they say that's insane. The reality is exactly what you just stated, which the perceived risk of going thousands of feet up is greater, but really you get three feet off the ground, you could fall the wrong way and hit your head. You know, five yeah. feet off the ground, 10 feet. Hey, Alex, didn't, didn't they do like a PET scan on that guy and like his, his, his fear sense in his brain is diminished? I, I, th I think so. I think I, I heard that. And that's the only way, that's the only way I can, I can somehow um, wrap my mind around his existence and his ability to do that because Overcoming fear is one thing, but man, the the degree to that to, to which that guy goes to it is another. Um, but I, one one of the things I I think is interesting about your environment is there's a lot of risks. You got heavy steel that can pinch you and fall, and some of that is more available to manage than others. And yet, you know, we've we've talked at, at CSE uh, over the years on and off about failing safely and. And that's what, you know, fall protection is a place where we could yell at folks for falling off the steel or we could celebrate and cheer when they do when they're tied in. Um, because that equipment has allowed us to make, um, you know, have performance lapses and yet, you know, as Conklin likes to talk about, to actually fail safely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a huge thing. And, uh, you know, in our other departments, I mean, we have our crane department. And, you know, if something fails there, it could be catastrophic. Um, 
you know, so any opportunity uh, in any de department we have, or if we can do it and, and it works, you know, you see these videos of uh, people wearing safety glasses and a, a grinding blade comes off and sticks into their safety glasses, but just barely touches their eyebrow. You know, that that's to me, uh, one of those opportunities that could have been uh, a whole nother ending. Um, but luckily yeah. It was one of those, they failed safe and the glasses worked because they were wearing them. Uh, same thing with the fall hazards. Um, you know, if you fall and your harness catches you, you know, unfortunately you fail, but at least you were caught. No doubt about it. Um, I, and before we go down that rabbit hole too far, which I've dragged us into, let's jump back to, uh, to your, again, kind of your progression into the position you are now. And, so you were an iron worker and you're walking steel and how long did you do that? And, and what are some of the lessons you learned? And then where did you go from there? Um, so I worked in the field um, on a crew for roughly three, three and a half years. Um, in that time, I kind of transitioned from our steel division to our industrial department. And the crew that I worked with, we did some steel erection, but primarily we were in our industrial department doing plant maintenance, moving machines, um, moving transformers for AEP or whatever it may be. And, you know, so I spent about three and a half years in the field um, and I saw an opportunity, you know, I was intrigued by the cranes. So I, I was pushing to work my way over into our crane division. Um, and eventually I got my CDL uh, to be able to drive commercial vehicles and when I got the CDL they, they moved me over into our crane department and I drove a tractor trailer for a while as I was learning and practicing how to operate a crane and next thing I know I have I took my NCCCO certification test and was certified as a crane operator and jumped into the seat of a crane for a couple of years. Yeah, so harkens back to your football days in, in Shawsville, uh, playing multiple positions, defensive end, offensive, you know, kind of yeah. all over the field. You, you, you jumped around in a lot of different spots at CSE. How, how does that – how do you feel that's equipped you to, to, to better perform in the position you are now and maybe talk a little bit about what your role is? And, um, and well, sometimes I look at it and I, I wouldn't be – in the role that I am now, if I hadn't done all those things, because uh, my experience in the field, I, I learned how to weld. I, I, you know, every aspect of what our guys do every day, I can say I've done. And, you know, even operating the crane. So going from being an iron worker to the crane operator, um, you know, and it's helped me tremendously. The you know, another part of the process is I went into management. Uh, this is all within CSE. I, I became a, a manager in our crane department and learned how that operation flows. And then I moved over to project management in our industrial department. And, you know, so even with the management experience to end up where I am now as a safety director, all that experience help me get to where I'm at and I know what these guys are going through every day and 
you know, traveling, being away from their families and the stress that brings uh, down to the nitty gritty tasks that they're doing and the risk that's involved. How do you, how do you differ? We see, I mean, not that it's right or wrong. Um, I see a lot of advantages. I mean, I see numerous advantages in all your experience to becoming safety director, but we see a lot of people who haven't ever done those jobs before, whether it's in your industry or not. So what, 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 what do you see is that, that, you know, are, are there benefits? Are there drawbacks to that? Um, so there, there are some drawbacks because when I came into this job or into this role, I had, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about claims management and all these things that you have to deal with in safety that sometimes you don't realize that that's being taken care of by somebody. Um, right. So I had to learn a lot coming into this role um, as somebody else that might have been educated through college or whatever uh, previous, you know. So anybody that doesn't have that field experience might have that, that initial start in knowing where to begin and how things should look or operate in safety. But I feel like they need to go learn, spend some time in the field, you know, go not just check things out and leave, you know, actually learn how to do these things. Um, that way you, you gain so much more insight. Um, I mean, just as simple as using a grinder might seem simple to some people or challenging for others. But if you actually do it, you realize the risk and, and the dangers that's there. And, and you have a bigger picture of what every single task takes. So knowing what you know now, how differently would you have been doing your job in the past? <laughs> um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I, I was always a safe employee. Uh, I supervised my jobs with safety first. Um, you know, and I think that's what helped when it came time for uh, CSE to find a new, you know, safety director. They had one. Um, so, my younger self, um, it's one of those you, you live and learn, and I would have done things a lot differently. Uh, I was talking about that fine line of risk. Um, you know, a lot of us cross that line at some point, unfortunately, and sometimes you get hurt and some, you know, you might get away with it. Um, you know, the, there's that phrase, uh, C-RAT, you might've heard of it. It's common risk assessment and threat. And it's basically, you, you go out and you do it once, you're okay. You do it a second time. Next thing you know, you've done it a thousand times and never gotten hurt. But it's, so it becomes a common risk to you, but it's still there. It, that threat of being injured is still there and it, it'll catch up with you. Yeah. Um, might, might be able to go your whole life and never have it happen. Um, so a lot of those risks, looking back now, with, <laughs> I would have probably never crossed that line. Yeah. Well, how, how yeah, go ahead, Alex. No, you, all you. No, I was just going to say, I, I, so I, I wonder how much, um, I mean, you've obviously, as Alex talked about, you know, grew up playing sports in a lot of different positions and you've been in a lot of different positions and, and, and now you're kind of in a new one. And I, I'd just be interested in how collaborative sort of the safety role feels to you 
working with the people in the field to find solutions and ways to get the work done in, in the most efficient and safe manner, you know, versus you kind of prescribing what needs to be done. And, you know, so any comments on that, I would appreciate. Yeah. I mean, definitely collaboration. I mean, that years ago, the only time you saw a safety director was if he was coming to check on your jobs and hopefully he didn't find anything. Um, or he was coming to do a drug test on somebody. Um, <laughs> I never, in the field, I never saw that collaboration. You know, a lot of times the safety people will come, they'll talk to the supervisor, they might say hi to you. Um, it's not like they're unfriendly people, but there was never safety engagement, so to speak, you know. Um, so I try to, uh, you know, be involved you know, as early as I can in a project um, to being able to talk with the new guys. Uh, if we bring in a green employee, I'd like to follow up with them in a couple of weeks after being hired, spend some time with them and just talk, um, give some pointers or whatever, just give them an idea of the safety aspect of what I'm looking at. So what that, that approach that, that you've taken, I'd, I'd imagine part of it is just a, a respect for the work being done, having done the work yourself and understanding the nuance. If you mentioned the grinder, I mean, I, I, it never ceases to amaze me. The simplest of tasks, um, you know, you, you see it on shows like Undercover Boss where they say, here, run the cash register. And this guy that runs a multi-million dollar company is running completely blind and completely overwhelmed at opening and shutting a cash reg register and giving people change. Yeah. And I think stuff like that at, at varying levels happens on every job site you know, all across the world. Um, and the, the really the innovation and the, just the smarts of the folks on the job to be able to figure out how to respond to, I mean, more, more barriers to completion than any of us could count. The, their ability to adapt and execute is something that I, I, I don't know is fully appreciated. And to be in your position where you know the language and you appreciate it and you come at it with, a, with, a, with a, an approach of collaboration. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is a question around how did you arrive there? Were there, were there mentors or superintendents or folks, friends, family along the way that kind of checked you? that coached you, that kind of led you that direction, combined with your personal kind of natural disposition? Um, yeah. So early on when I first started with CSE, I actually started the first crew I worked on. Uh, my mom's, uh, you know, more or less fiance worked on that crew. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was working side by side with him and he was teaching me and, you know, uh, kind of took me under his wing and was showing me the ropes. And um, that initial start, you know, just he, he knew I was coming in not understanding, you know, how to use a settling torch or whatever. I mean, it, he was showing me everything, how to even put my harness on correctly. Um, so I had him initially. Um, as I transitioned into our industrial department, kind of separated to a different crew from him uh, shortly after that experience with him uh, he fell and unfortunately wasn't tied off 
And his fall um, was really a kick in the right direction for me because um, I was new into the industry, um, you know, but having somebody close to you that was that mentor had that, that one time the risk caught up with him and unfortunately he fell and is paralyzed from the waist down. Um, that was, you know, 16 years ago or so. Um, you know, and that, having that close person that was a mentor, having something so tragic happen, um, it definitely changed my direction and focus on safety. Um, so I had that huge experience early on in my career that fortunately a lot of people don't have to go through. Um, they don't have to have that close call with themselves or somebody close to them. Um, but, uh, you know, that with that happening, that really got me started in the right direction to make sure I was being safe, but also the people that I worked with. Hmm. I, that, I think that's maybe one of the biggest challenges in the risk world is getting people to appreciate that the risk isn't an abstraction and that it's real. Um, and the, the barrier or the challenge in that is that it, that risk plays out over the course of a lifetime. So you made the comment earlier, you know, you take a, a few creep out on the, the, the iron and you go, well, I'm, I'm one foot away. I'm two feet away. I'm three feet. You keep pushing the barrier, but the risk, the risk stays and it's a matter of chance, circumstance, inches, seconds as to whether it's, your first day on the job or your last day. And I do think of an exposure to that um, early on, I'd imagine eliminates the abstraction and just brings it home. And I, Jimbo, I don't know, or, or Harley, interested in your take on how to make the risk more real to people. I mean, we constantly hear about different risks and how do we get folks to be aware and perhaps one of the biggest obstructions is that there are so many risks out there that in order to perform, you, you can't just be focused just on the risk because it might paralyze you to actually do your work, right? Um, but, but how do we keep that? How do we keep risk from being solely an abstraction and, and bring it to being an, a reality? I don't know the answer. Um, so I don't know if I know the answer either. Um, you know, it's, I look at it somewhat driving a car. We all have the same risk driving our vehicles up and down the road, but we know we, we watch our speed. We drive carefully. We're not, you know, zooming around curves because we know what happens. We know crashes happen. We see it happen. Um, unfortunately, you know, some job, uh, tasks or risks that, that are out there. Um, a lot of people go through their career and they know the risk is there, but they never see it happen to anybody. And, you know, so not that we go through telling all kinds of war stories, but I try to inform people of this is a real risk. This can happen uh, by visual aids. You know, in our orientations, a lot of times we'll show a crane incident. It's big blue happened in, I believe, 1999. Catastrophic event, but it's, we go through that, we show them, we talk through some of the details of, you know, the, the risk factors that were there that they should have not made that pick that day. But because they've ignored the risk, this is what happens. Um, 
So I think shining a little light on being able to say this has happened and this is, or this is what could happen rather than just wear your safety glasses so you don't get hurt. Well, why do you have to wear your safety glasses? You know, I think trying to provide a little bit more information. Uh, most people learn by, you know, visual aid or experience, you know, those two typically help a lot. Um, so being able to just tell somebody a little bit more or explain the risk to them uh, helps, especially the younger generation. You know, again, I look back at what I wish I knew 17 years ago on day one and being able to uh, help those, those people know now rather than wait and learn by uh, an unfortunate event for them, themselves. You know, Alex, I also think there's a, there, there's a cultural element to it, too. And, and that, that is, is, you know, one of the things that we've said is, you know, when organizations are sort of emo as emotional about the performance as they are about the consequences or then, then you have sort of that shift. And I think, you know, everybody evaluates things based on, based on the priorities and what, what gets emphasized and what gets noticed and, you know, if, if you if you step on a job site and, and people are noticing certain things um, all the time, every time, that that creates a culture that puts emphasis on things at a higher level. And it's not so much, you know, waiting for that negative consequence because we've all we've all seen is is that companies tend to change their behavior based on huge consequences. So when you have somebody, you know, who fall who falls off the steel, you know, that that's a cultural changing event. And and what really needs to happen is 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 you need to you need to create a culture that that reinforces the behavior that prevents that. So you don't have to get to that point to to change your culture. Um and so I I don't think it's a it's an easy recipe, but um, I, I do think there, there are certain elements that, that, that some companies kind of get um, because they pay attention to certain things in a way that, that gets people to take notice. Um, yeah, I think, I guess what that boils down to is leveraging your experience, your institutional experience and knowledge and that of others. Reminds me of our conversations with, with Scott Turner over at True Timber, Jimbo, if you recall, and and how do you bring awareness to the front? And part of it is explaining, here's why we tie off. Here's why we use certain pieces of equipment. Here's why we have the guard on. Here's why we wear this type of, of you know, of, of, of protection on our heads. And, you know, you name it, um, really giving people an understanding for why they are expected to do things a certain way. And, and I think that's just bringing it back to the reality that this can happen. Um, so... Well, Harley, thanks. Um, we've been going at it for a little while, so thank you for spending the morning with us. Absolutely. Jimbo, thank you. And, and I don't know, there were a lot of, we covered a lot of ground. I think there's a lot of things to take away, but one thing that stuck out to me is just ego is the enemy of collaboration. And I think collaboration is critical for, for risk performance, um, for folks to perform in the risk. Um, and, and then tied into that, I think, in order to perform in the risk, you have to know it. And to have field experience like you did from wearing multiple hats, 
um, I'm sure allowed you to contribute to your football team when you were coming up in a way that um, would have probably been lessened if you only played one position. And so I think there's, there's a lot of lessons in that. But thanks for taking the time this morning to share your story with us, or at least a, a, part of, a, a small part of your story. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, as always, if there's anything I can do to help with anybody, I'm, I'm here to communicate with and uh, happy to help. Thanks, Harley. Mm-hmm.